0: Uh, so post, post-pandemic or post-COVID, I know we're, we're not actually uh, post-COVID yet, but <clears throat> it's starting to become a little bit more, a little bit more that feels that way. Did the years of, of, uh, of the pandemic, did they make it harder or easier for you to respond when someone asked you to come and do something? Harder? Because you're like this, I'm not leading, like for some of you, you might have been like, after that long of like isolation, I was dying to do anything. Like anybody like that that was like, just get me out, let's go be social, right? And, and for some of you, either the exhaustion of it all or the trauma or just maybe an element of your personality made it really difficult on the flip side or maybe like anxiety because of like, when, when is this thing done? Um, so some of you in that category too? Yeah, yeah. So, so we're, I, I had a feeling that that was going to be the case, um, some in each direction. But uh, it, it, can be, it can be hard when, when invitations come our way uh, after we've been through a lot. So I, I actually want to um, go back to basics a little bit today. And maybe it's because uh, next week um, we are celebrating baptisms. Uh, not too late, by the way, if you want to come talk to me afterwards. But next week we'll be outside. Hopefully we get different weather than we have right now. Um, but next week we'll be outside sharing a brunch. Everyone's invited. We're going to celebrate baptisms out on the, on the side of the building. Maybe it's because of that. Um, maybe it's, uh, it's just because we can never possibly talk enough about discipleship at the center of what we do. But I want us to think about invitations today. All right, And this will kind of lead us into next week as we transition into the fall. Um, but I, I want us to think about what God invites us into and specifically why we might be either eager or hesitant to respond to those invitations based on kind of what we've journeyed through, um, each of us uniquely and individually. Uh, but I want us to establish kind of how central invitational language is in the scriptures. I can't possibly do a survey of this because it's just overwhelming, but but there are, are passages that give us a glimpse that we're going to look at to, and tie to Jesus in just a minute that remind us that there is a constant invitation from God toward people. Uh, one of my favorites is really beautiful. It's in Isaiah 55, um, and I can throw it up here, uh, and it's in the first few verses, uh, it reads, come all you who are thirsty. We actually sing a song. Jess loves this song. When Jess is leading us, she sometimes uh, plays this one. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. First of all, just how, how radical and wonderful of a phrase is that, right? Come buy with no money. Um, we're getting rid of the transaction here. Just come. Just come. The door's open. Um, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then I think it's really interesting. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? So you see the contrast here? The first thing that, that we're being given, and these are, these are intended to be the, the invitation of God to his people, Israel. And the, the invitation is, hey, I'm inviting you to come. You're, I'm assuming that you're spending money and you're spending labor on things. So, and So the invitation is not just come and spend money on the good stuff and work on the good stuff. Instead, it's saying you're spending money on things that aren't satisfying you. You're working hard to things that don't release you um, to to live in freedom. So I'm going to say, you know what, transition that. But instead of having to pay, it's just all free. Just come. Just come and buy things without any money. I don't know how you buy something without money. Um, But I love the imagery because there's something about it that just is, is capturing. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. So there's this constant invitation. If you want to find life. If you want to experience grace and goodness, come. Just come. Over and over and over we get this. We started the gathering with the first, the first song was come. The invitation, come over and over and over again. It's repeated all throughout the scriptures everywhere. In, in the Gospels, Jesus, specifically in Matthew and Luke, Jesus tells these stories about the kingdom of God being like this great banquet. That there's plenty of room at. And, and over and over again, the ones who are the expected guests don't seem to have interest in coming to this banquet. Over and over. The, the, the guy who's hosting the banquet is like, hey, I've invited all these guests and they don't want to come. And so what the king or the host ends up doing in all these different stories is he goes out to the street and he says, everybody, come. I'm, I'm, I want to fill this place. It's going to be a celebration. And so all of these different types of people get to come in, but the surprise is that the ones that are the expected guests aren't particularly interested. But the invitation still remains, come, come, come. Um, and um, and it's, it's fascinating because all these overlooked in society, the beggars, um, those working in the fields, those kind of outside of the party get invited in. And, and then Jesus... Reinforces this attitude um, when he's actually at a banquet himself, and he says in Luke 14, "Listen to the invitational language. When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If they do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid." So you see this repayment language, right? There's repayment language, just like Isaiah 55, spending money. He's like, "Don't don't do something where you're going to get repaid. Make it free. Make it invitational. Make it a gift." If you do, they might invite you back and you'll get repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Say, come, say, come to people. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The story of God is a story of invitation, okay? It's a story of God reinforced by Jesus constantly, constantly saying, come. Okay, but there's a particularity about it because it doesn't come to the most impressive. It doesn't come to the most honorable. It doesn't come to the most deserved. All right, we all are invited in in this story. Um, The unlikely, the imperfect, and it's on purpose. I think that's really interesting. It's always on purpose, purposefully, Jesus says, come. It's an act of grace that everybody is able to partake in, in the joy and the journey of the relationship. Uh, in, uh, in the book of, of Mark, um, the whole story starts with Jesus. We talked about the desert last week. Jesus goes out into the desert, and then um, he comes back, and he gives one proclamation about saying that the kingdom of God's at hand in Mark 1. And then the next words that he speaks are words of invitation to who would become the disciples. All right? So what's really, really interesting here is that what we get is in Mark 1, 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said. Now, the interesting thing is that when Jesus gives an invitation to these guys, he breaks with Galilean rabbinic tradition. Okay? So in Galilean tradition, Jesus was a well-known rabbi at the time, Okay, he was going around, he was teaching, there was already interest in what he was doing, but rabbis would not, rabbis were schooled. Nobody, we don't talk about this because we don't have a lot of stories between, in Jesus' young adulthood, but Jesus was understood as a, a rabbi. The word rabbi is a formal word that would have denoted the fact that Jesus actually had rabbinical training, okay? So Jesus actually went through schooling. We get a couple things where he was probably a bit of a thorn in his teacher's side, um, a little bit here because he seems to have insights that they may be lacking sometimes. Um, so I'm sure he was a difficult student, uh, because he was always asking, you know, those people, right? Always asking the questions that are underneath the questions. And you're like, it's a really great question, but like, just let me do my thing right now because I have other students. Uh, but, but so anyways, Jesus would have been trained and in this, in this system of training, um, when a, so a rabbi would just be, just think of it like a teacher with classes, and they would have classes, and those classes would grow up, and different rabbis would teach them. And then at some point, uh, each, each couple of years, more kids drifted off, and the sharpest ones stayed and continued to learn. And eventually, among the sharpest, some of those students would pick a rabbi that they are drawn to, the rabbi's teaching, their yoke it was called, um, and they would come to the rabbi, and they would say... These would be, have been among the sharpest. They would say, may I follow you? And that would mean, can I become your disciple and literally learn to imitate you and follow you around and learn to live the life that you lived? And the, and the rabbi then would have a choice. Are these people sharp enough? If they want this invitation, if they say, may I follow you, then a rabbi would say to some of them, come and follow me. L'chacharai, all right? So that's the phrase, come and follow me. So here's the interesting thing. In the story of Jesus... Instead of disciples going and seeking out Jesus and saying, Can I follow you? that were the sharpest in the school, Jesus leaves the educational system completely and goes and finds people that, according to what we have right here, are casting a net and they are fishermen, have already returned to their family trade, have already not quite had enough to cut it. And Jesus goes to them and breaks all the tradition, and he initiates, and he says, come and follow me. And what that was doing was Jesus was communicating, I actually desire, I'm going out of my way. Normally, you go out of your way to find me and say, can I sit under you? Jesus goes out of his way to find other people, and it's not the sharpest, it's not the smartest, it's not the most impressive, and he says, you, come and follow me. I believe in you. I think you can imitate me. And this is profoundly different. And this, by the way, is why people do things like drop their nets and follow him. Otherwise, we're like, does he like, hypnotize people? Like, What's the deal in the, in the Bible when Jesus says, come and follow me? And everyone's like, yes. It's because they're being given the opportunity of a lifetime. And rabbis didn't do this. And so, so when, when we're talking about this, I want to establish how beautiful and radical the story of God is as a, a story of radical invitation. Come receive this honorable opportunity to become the disciple of a rabbi. You're invited into my inner circle, Jesus says, to the little people. (laughs) That's us, right? The ones who are not at the top of society, the ones who are not impressive, who make mistakes, who have big questions, who don't have it all figured out. The word of God says, come, it's okay. I believe in you. I want to journey with you. Praise be to God for that. Um, but what does He say right after this invitation? Here's the thing: like we get, "Come, follow me," Jesus said, and then He follows up. The sentence wasn't even over, and I will make you, or I will send you out to fish for people. They were fishermen. Jesus says, "Come, and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people." So it's really fascinating when He says, He says, "Come," and then. I will send you out to fish for people. So there's a movement to not just come in, but to do something new. And I will make you fishers of people. So it's not just about coming, but immediately connected with that invitation from Jesus is to become. So there's come, but become something new. And we see this language in the, in the New Testament, right? If you are in Christ, if you've come to Christ, you're a new creation. So there's something new that's being formed. So the invitation of God is not just to come, but to become something fresh, something new. We're hitting basics here, but it's worth it over and over again when we think about this. Um, so, so when we think and break this down maybe into some other language, um, one of the things that we might say is that the come is an invitation to connection, We're going to get our whiteboard usage today. Okay? So the come is an invitation to connection, right? But that moves then toward also conversion, right? Transformation. And the reason that we have to keep this in front of us is because sometimes we move, well, I'll get there in a second. We, we move in one direction or the other of the two extremes and we miss the beauty of the second one. Okay? So, so there's this desire for connection that Jesus has toward his people, but there's the desire to, for conversion, to be transformed into something new. Come to me, and I will make you fishers for people. Instead of casting your nets out and grabbing fish, I'm going to be sending you out to invite other people into the life of God. It's so beautiful. It's so exciting. Um, Which leads us then to a statement of Jesus that we have talked about almost every single Sunday, and I never have the intent to centralize it, but it always keeps becoming central because I think it's so important. So when we look at the life of Jesus, and then we hear in the book of Matthew in chapter 11, Jesus is not just talking to a few disciples, he's speaking to the crowds at this point, so we can trust it's a universal statement. Jesus saying to to everyone within earshot. All right? And, and so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say this is a universal declaration. And we see the, the character of invitation expressed when Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see that? Come to me. Connection. And I will give you rest. Straight up declaration. You're tired. You're exhausted. You've been trying to follow all of the religious rules or you feel like you're not good enough, or, or whatever the case is, I will just, just come. There's no, no holds barred there. Just come, and I will give you rest. Okay? But then Jesus goes on. And after he says, come, and I will give you rest, he says, take my yoke upon you, my way of teaching, and learn from me. But Jesus is doing a bit of a word play because oxen also use something called a yoke. All right, And so what happens, and I've talked about this before, but it's super helpful for us. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's, using, he's having fun with words. And he's, the yoke of a rabbi was a way of teaching and seeing the world. So take on my worldview, Jesus is saying, but also become linked to me. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke was an apparatus for farming whereby two oxen would be linked together. But the way that they would train oxen is that a stronger oxen who knew healthy rhythms and how to do the job would be linked to a young oxen who was all excitable and probably distractible and like, ooh, squirrel, and and never could quite get the rhythms right. And what would happen is because he was linked or she was linked, are oxen... Is, is a female oxen an oxen? Or an, no. Oxen because they have... Yeah, just male. Okay, so I'm not trying to be sexist here. but So he would be linked to... This other, um, this this other more experienced oxen, and so what we get is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, learn my ways of life. I think uh, the message translation by, um, by Eugene Peterson, the paraphrase, he says, learn my rhythms of grace, but it's it's doing something, all right. So you're going to come to me. But you're also going to take on this yoke and learn a new way of being. Learn how to do something fresh and new. All right? And so, so, um, so what we're getting here is we're going somewhere with, with all of this. But, um, but the, the invitation uh, becomes, well, yeah. So eventually now, it's not just connection, right? But this invitation um. Because take my yoke upon you is about imitation. There we go. So there's, in, did I spell everything right? Invitation, imitation, yeah. So each time, this is, these are our two sides. So there's this movement, right? Come, become. And what that means is on one side here, look at the words of Jesus on the screen. We have the invitation to rest. And on the other side, uh uh-oh, we have the invitation to action. I was going to call it work because that's really what it is, but we have so many negative connotations with work. So Jesus invites us to rest deeply, and then Jesus invites us to move from that in a new way to live differently in the world around us. This is Christianity 101, but unfortunately, it's not. Because we have such unhealthy understandings of discipleship that are all about a disembodied soul instead of soul rest in union with God that, yes, leads to eternal life, and it leads to the kingdom growing up right now in our midst like a flower through a crack in the sidewalk. In our world right now, actions of love that transform things, that reveal who God is. So... What ends up happening is that we run into problems if we don't embrace both of these invitations, the invitation to rest in God and the invitation to live differently and, and act. So here's what we do. I haven't done this for a long time. Um, we're going to do a matrix. Some of you have been around for years. We used to do this constantly, right? Not like the matrix, like the, like, but like a, a, a matrix. Um, all right. All right, so when we do a matrix, we have a minus side and a plus side, plus side, minus side. Understood? That's, that's our basic. So um, the matrix that we're gonna work with is what I'm gonna call um, soul rest. Okay, I don't know what letter that is. Soul rest on one continuum, all right? and empowered action on the other. All right? Some of you guys who are like numbers and shapes people, you're going to love this. So so on one side we have a life of soul rest, and on the other side is empowered action. And by the way, no, no, saving that for a second. So what ends up happening is if, I mean, if we're not finding any rest in God, and we're not doing anything to follow Jesus, then like, there's not a lot of life in our faith. Um, so we're just going to kind of cross this out. But if you have a life where you are all about me and Jesus, soul rest. I just love hanging out with Jesus. And, and it's just so wonderful. Jesus, you died for me. You saved me. I love you. I love you. And that's where it ends. And that's where it ends. That's beautiful, by the way, except when that's where it ends. And so what you get is you get a life that is Highly comfortable, very individualistic, and to be honest, I, I hope, is kind of boring. If you read the words of Jesus, you're just missing out on so much. So you get this world where, um, where you have a lot of focus on the come but not a lot of becoming, not a lot of walking away in new creation. You're not understanding God's call to be people of justice, to work, to care for the poor and the oppressed, to be people who invite others in, to be people who stand up and say, we have things that need to be made right in the world because it's fractured, because of hatred, because of violence, because of racism. And we are the people that seek to make it right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that priority because up here, you've got all of the empowered action. You're really focused on all of the things that Jesus says to do, right? So, so your life is about, this is supposed to be what I do, what I do, what I do. But here's the thing. If you're not grounded deeply in Jesus, then what ends up happening is number one, the exhaustion takes over. So there's so much exhaustion, because you're kind of saying, I'm going to do all these good things, but I have to accomplish them independently of God, independently of of finding deep rest for my soul, which, by the way, will destroy us, because there's always more to be done. I wish there wasn't, but there's always more to be done until you lose yourself completely, and then you become no good to the world because you get burnt out. So there's burnout here. And, And honestly... The, the other risk here is when we try to say, I want to stand for the things of Jesus, but I'm not finding deep connection in Jesus, then what we end up doing is we end up feeling toward other people who are not like us, attitudes that don't look Christ-like at all. So we say, we're going to fight for, to, you know, we're going to fight against racism, and we become super hate-filled toward everyone that we deem doesn't have it together and, and doesn't see clearly about this issue. we become people who are very bitter at everybody that we disagree with. So, so it's a real risk, especially right now in our world, with how much we prayed about division, with how much division there is, there's a real risk that if we aren't finding the deep invitation of Jesus to come as something that's compelling, if we aren't practicing that, if we aren't, like we talked about last week, getting away into the wilderness to find life in Jesus independent of action, then when we try to do action, we will find ourselves getting bitter, getting burnt out, getting exhausted. And the things might be so good, but it's just not often a long-term plan for sustainability. It's unsustainable as Christ followers. Like 10 years ago, I went to a, uh, a seminar called action and contemplation. And I was like, this sounds interesting, but I really like these things are very different in my mind. <laughs> like there's like the contemplative life, and then there's the life of social action out there, loving people radically. And, um, and I sat under listening to these contemplatives who spent significant parts of their time just being still with Jesus and withdrawn and the other half of their life being like super involved in redemptive work in the world. And they, the idea was that these things, contemplative, contemplative life, finding deep life in Jesus, having a self-awareness, and a, a life of radical love, these things are literally two sides of the same coin. This is literally learning to love God and love others like Jesus' priorities were. So, so um, there's, there's just real beauty in starting to understand, again, that these two things are going to be in, incomplete without each other. So what do we do when we start to learn how to receive both of the invitations, to come and become, right? To the, we, we receive God's invitation in and to be, to be imitators of God. Then, right, we get, shocker, this is not going to be some amazing word, we get healthy discipleship up here, right? And this Right upper quadrant, like all matrices, are where we want matrices are where we want to be. Okay, so we have this movement of wanting to live a life that hears the words of Jesus: "Come, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest." And we don't burst burst past that. We hear it: "Come, if you're tired. I've been tired, and I've come, and I've just needed to find rest in Jesus, without any expectation of action." And some of you might be there without any expectation of action. And you might be there, but if you are truly finding rest, you will find that what ends up happening is something transforms within you that makes you want to take that new groundedness and be a lover of people and care for the world and reflect Jesus' image everywhere you go more and more. That will be the natural outflowing of hanging out with Jesus long enough. You don't want to stay alone. Um, and I mean, th- this idea of internal and external, that's actually why we celebrate baptism the way we do. So next week, when, when we celebrate the kind of the public expression of, of identifying with Jesus and, and in the encouragement and context of our local church, like it's this internal, deeply spiritual thing that is super physical and messy. It's splashy. You get soaked. I mean, you all won't get soaked unless you all decide to jump into the pool afterwards. Um, But, like, when you step into baptism, it's a really physical, grainy thing. But it's also deeply spiritually. It's about the internal transformation, but it's expressed in a very physical, external way. And that's why we do that. That's why that's our tradition, to immerse people, go under, get fully soaked, right? That's That's not what it's about. It's about the internal transformation of saying, Jesus, I want to identify my life with you but it's expressed really physically, right? And so that's kind of one of the the beautiful things. Um, Okay, so, um, and by the way, I said this once, I'll say it again, I'll probably say it again before my last sentence, but there's still time if you're interested in saying, you know what, I really have been moving toward Jesus or I have moved toward Jesus, but I've not taken this step of expressing my, my faith through baptism, it's just so beautiful. It's just so fun. We have a wonderful time celebrating God. Okay, so, this is God's way, but if we are told, like, um, like uh, Ephesians 5 tells us, to be imitators of God, then maybe we need to at least spend a moment here, before we head to some dialogue, we need to at least spend a moment thinking, what does it look like then to imitate God in even the approach Jesus gives of an invitational life? Like, what does it look like for you to live a life that invites people to come, or that responds when you're invited? What are the little ways? What are the, what are the walls that have built, been built up that maybe Jesus is saying, hey, I want to break that down just a little bit so that you can experience the beauty of relationships in new ways, so that you can grow, so that maybe it can even be a transformative experience for you and someone else together. Um, you know, I, uh, th- maybe the whole reason that this word is sticking in my mind, I'm a cross-country coach, and we're in our second week, but we... Um, we're hosting for the first time ever at White Clay Creek this fall, we're hosting uh, a big meet for middle schoolers only. And it's an, we call those invitationals. That's what you call something in cross country. It's an invitational. It just hit me last night that I've been doing all this paperwork at night, like on making a flyer for an invitational. And then my other time I'm writing this message on invitation and uh, not always super quick on the uptake. But... Um, but So I was just thinking about that last night, and one of the things that I'm so excited about is that we believe that we can create this awesome moment. And so I'm trying to get out word to all of the athletic directors and all the local middle schools and stuff and say, come. Now it costs them money because we have to pay State Park, so it's not free. Metaphor breaks down a little. But the idea is come because we're going to, when, when you welcome in this, you're going to be, be able to be a part of a moment, a part of a, a significant moment That's going to just celebrate, you know, all this fun of physical activity and encouragement. And and we're going to do it well. Like, Jesus' invitation to come is, come, we're going to create a life. Not just a moment. We're going to create a life. Come. And so what does it look like for you to say, where is the role of invitation in my life right now? Are there people God is stirring in you? To just reach out a hand of friendship just a little bit more. Um... Maybe it's encouraging you, some of your friends' kids, to be involved in, in an encouraging way because we know that kids need adults beyond their parents. Maybe it's um, opening your house in some new ways. Maybe it's um, receiving an invitation. Maybe somebody said, hey, why don't you guys come out and do, you do this or that or whatever, and you've just been exhausted, but maybe you haven't actually brought that to Jesus yet, and Jesus is going to say, hey, this might be a new opportunity for you to show love or even to receive love in a way that you've been kind of pushing back. We're starting our meal communities next week for the fall. And meal communities are a perfect time, especially in the beginning season here, for us to practice lives of invitation. People who are different than you, learning how to to begin to care and just love one another and just journey together with our eyes on Jesus and how beautiful that can be. And so for some of you, it might be like receiving an invitation and being like, yeah, maybe I'll show up, It's a little intimidating, and for others, it might be learning to be people who invite honestly. Uh, but but think about what does this speak maybe even into your own life in terms of, of being a person of imitation. So if I'm going to break this down for life path, here at the end, um, I think we I think we do okay, but I think we have some some work, and I I can. Pretty much, those of you that I know well, I can kind of peg which, which emphasis you're drawn to, toward. I'm drawn to an emphasis too. But I think as a whole, it's really important that we make sure that we emphasize the first calling of Jesus to come and find rest. That, we, that we're willing to go into the deep places with Jesus. Because a lot of you are super active out there in the world. And you're constantly loving people and working in different areas for reconciliation and justice, and that's super beautiful. But I want to just encourage you to hear all of the words of Jesus, not just the go and do, but the come and see, come and rest. Um, Because if we're not doing that, and that's the easiest thing to throw away, it's easy to fill up our schedules, it's much more difficult to do the rest of it. Um, But if we're not doing that, we're going to find ourselves spinning our tires a little bit Starting to get burnt out, so let's pray and then uh, give a couple of moments for some responses. Lord, you even right now we trust that you're uh, that you're inviting us just toward you, but also um, maybe toward a deeper expression of our faith in some way. So I pray for discernment right now. I pray for soul release if we need it. I pray for hope. I pray for the joy that comes when we understand the depth of your invitation to each one of us. Help us hear whatever you need us to hear, Lord. That's it. Whatever you need us to hear. Let the rest of it fall away so that there's one way that we can move toward you and toward your kingdom.